the way mine looks too is you really do feel the load go from one glute to the other glute and you can mm. feel that and, and yeah. that's something that is really powerful um and also just safe because they they can't they're just limited in a way that i like that was alex canellis and you're listening to the just fly performance podcast Today's podcast is brought to you by Lost Empire Herbs. You can save 15% off of my favorite products with Lost Empire Herbs by heading to lostempireherbs.com slash just fly. Use the code Joel15. Lost Empire Herbs is a go-to of mine for supplementation. And looking at the principles, the patterns in nature is such a a profound, a powerful um, observing, a starting point for me in my training. And I've taken that over into supplementation or my choice of supplementation as Lost Empire Herbs has harnessed the power of nature, getting things with such minimal processing and such a rich history in Chinese medicine uh, for helping you to improve your vitality, energy, uh, and even strength through their products, uh, things such as Shilly Jip, the Phoenix Formula, and so much more. Head to lostempireherbs.com slash today. And check out some of my favorite herbs, and there you can get, again, 15% off your order. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Today's guest is Alex Canellis of Landmine University. In addition to founding Landmine University, Alex has also had a long career as a scholastic strength coach. He's also been a scholastic football and wrestling coach, has spent time as a WEC method performance coach, and has himself had a tremendous athletic career being a state football player of the year, as well as a wrestling state champ. On the show today, Alex will be speaking about what brought him into his current system of landmine work. And very likely, you've seen some of the Landmine University uh, unique training methods, working with the landmine rotationally, but also in a way that produces a lot of force and has a lot of strength component to it. So he'll be talking about some of the unique adaptations uh, that come with the landmine, the learning curve associated with the landmine, and how the landmine fits with athletic movement patterning. He'll also talk a little bit about wrestling and some of the athleticism that comes with that long-term development concepts and free play, and much more on the show today. It was fantastic having Alex on the show. Let's get to episode 399. Alex, man, it is awesome to have you on the show. Uh, let's get started a little bit by, tell me a little bit about your background uh, athletically, and because I think you're in a little bit of an interesting place uh, with who you work with and your, you know, um, your populations and athletic background. So let's start with that. Yeah, sure. So uh, from Iowa City, Iowa, and just uh growing up sports were kind of everything it was just you know way of life it was my favorite part of life uh, i played every sport growing up soccer uh basketball all that stuff but started wrestling at a young age um and football was kind of always my my love um got really into wrestling around junior high and ended up being a state champ here in iowa in high school um football was sort of my best Sport. I was always big and fast and strong. Um, I actually committed here to the University of Iowa, a uh, hometown school, when I was a sophomore in high school. Um, and so that was like my first recruiting letter was a full-ride offer to, to Iowa. Um, had success there. I ended up playing as a true freshman and sophomore in college. Um, started a few games. I was playing defensive end. And then uh, hit a couple of injuries. And as soon as I got done playing, I was right into the weight room interning with Chris Doyle, who was a longtime strike coach here and a big, big influence on me. Um, and yeah, so now 
I'm back in Iowa, um, where and I, where I've been for most most of the time. But I was a strength coach at a local junior high, and high school for ten years. Um, then ended up going to San Diego, working with David Wick for a couple of years, and now I'm back here in Iowa City, uh, working with a lot of youth wrestlers um, in my my daily practice at a wrestling club. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Uh, oh, sorry, to, uh, I was. We were talking before about how David, because I did want to touch on that. How big of an impact he had on you and your thought process and everything you had learned until then, and then moving forward. Uh, do you want to speak a little bit to how his thought process impacted you? Yeah, no, definitely can. I'm sure we'll get more into it. We start talking about sort of the training and and what I've got going on right now. But and I was saying that uh, in my time as a strength coach and uh, through the, at the high school level, this actually this podcast is one of the first places where i was kind of exposed to david and his ideas i've always loved your your podcast um but really uh he sort of exposed me to some different positions and patterns through the trunk through the core um that weren't a part of my regular education and at this time i had master's degree at cscs i had done my internships um i was actively trying to learn to become a better strength coach uh and then David all of a sudden just sort of exposed me to this this concept of coiling your core on purpose, right? Finding these rotational side bent positions uh, through the middle, through the trunk. And then really, he exposed me to the spinal engine theory, this concept that uh, your spine is the primary engine for locomotion as opposed to uh, bracing your spine in neutral and powering locomotion with your hips and legs. Um, and, and these concepts just made a ton of sense to me. My background as a wrestler, as a football player, um, when I got into some of these different positions with David, I said, oh my gosh, this is, this is digging an underhook, or this is, you know, throwing a hip toss. These are things that I can physically relate to just because of my athletic background. And, and I knew that they had a place in training, specifically strength training, because you could do rotational rep med ball throws and, you know, running is in a sense rotational on its own. Some of these jumps you can do, but every single lift, every single time it was time to lift weights, it was time to brace your core neutral and resist rotation. And because lifting weights was like my favorite thing to do, it was hard for me that I, I didn't have a way to sort of scratch both of those itches at the same time. Um, but yeah, my work with David was, is, is, really key to what I'm doing right now because what I'm doing right now is taking a lot of what I loved about traditional weightlifting and also what I learned from David was exposed to um, and sort of combining them in a way that I think just makes a ton of sense. Yeah. I, when you mentioned too, I, I was thinking about this uh, right before we pushed record and we, we mentioned it, but you're from Iowa and I was thinking, who else have I had on the show from Iowa? And I was like, Michael Zwiefel. And, and just, you know, I was thinking about just movement literacy. Uh, I'm in Cincinnati and I have a neighbor who is from Iowa and he's like, all we did growing up was play sports. He's like, I played one-on-one -on -one baseball with my brother and like all this stuff, you know, it's just all sorts of iterations. And I just think about that, that literacy and how it channels into what you do now. And you're mentioning you know, your time with David. And I was even thinking about uh, Darian Barr was my uh, primary movement mentor. Because similar sure. to you, up until then, I had done, you know, bachelor's, master's, I'd gone through USA track and field certifications. And my first time training with a Darian, I think it was 33. And as soon as he, I didn't understand everything he said, but as soon as he started talking, I was like, this makes sense. And for me, the connection was a Darian was a triple jumper. I did triple jump and high jump. And uh, he also had like a, 
a bit of a dance background, like a fan of dance in the eighties. And I had done like break dancing when I was in, you know, later in high school and got in a little bit of the popping and locking. And so it's almost like those little pops and isometrics. And there was that connection from that move, like, cause that was things I felt. And I think that's almost the thing that when you find a mentor, it's like, Hey, I've felt this. I know what you're talking about. Where if you hadn't felt it, I think it would be, I mean, like I said, there's a lot of things I didn't understand. So I think I would have been completely confused perhaps. But I think it's really interesting that that wrestling that because I, I can only imagine wrestling, how many times were you in those positions just automatically, <laughs> you know, for sure. Yeah. And I think that's like uh, one sport that we were talking to about your kids and all they want to do is wrestle right now. Yeah. It's one sport that um, I think. Yeah. And you've had some people on before talking about roughhousing, some of that physical stuff, but um, it's a huge part of my background. I mean, it's something that. I think is is really could be beneficial to any athlete, um, but for me, uh, it, it's a, just a little bit slower than football. So not slower in terms of the movements, but in terms of like holding certain positions. And there's a few more uh, built-in isometrics or overcoming things in a rotational way. Uh, so um, yeah, for me, I, I feel really lucky to have wrestled as much as I did, just because um, of the relationship it gave me with with specifically the middle of my my body so yeah i was i was just thinking about this before actually it was it was earlier as i was writing an email today and i feel like i had this conversation with rocky snyder something about like the farm belt the midwest and the farm belt and how many linemen come out of there and like farm worker bailing i I think it was um gavin from sports science lab had talked about you know how hard bailing hay is like you think about that like rotational piece and it's that it's almost like that's been in the system, you know, for decades. And now and then it turns into it's like evolving right into it starts as bailing hay and then you have the landmine. And it's like, I, I'm curious how. Uh, so starting with what you learned from David, how did and I'm sure David did landmine type things. How did you tell me a little bit about, hey, here's where I think we should go with this movement. Here's why it translates. Here's what I'm feeling. Well, so uh, and it's a combination of thought processes because I had worked with kids for so long. Um, and I, like I said, down sixth, sixth grade up through 12th grade. Um, and that was, you know, that was my favorite thing. And I just had gone through multiple rabbit holes. At first I was way into West side barbell. Um, when I first got to the school, we, we didn't have any kids that could bench 300 pounds. And so, uh, I, I said, you know, Hey guys, we're going to make a poster. If you could bench 300 pounds in the second year, we had two. And when I left after uh, 10 years that year, we had 14 kids. And oh, this wow. is a small school in Iowa that could bench. But, you know, I was obsessed with that program in Westside Barbell, right? And then all of a sudden, I, I you know, realized after reading all Louis' stuff that we were missing a big uh, piece in terms of the speed of the lifts. Uh, he talked about building explosive strength. And what he would do is dumbbell box jumps. He said that was like, you know. Because he didn't want to teach the Olympic lifts. And it's like, uh, well, okay, maybe I need to learn how to teach the Olympic lifts. And so I went down that rabbit hole and really gained a a great appreciation for that speed of movement, that type of strength training, purely explosive strength training, um, especially if you're doing velocity-based stuff. And that became an obsession with me, but it also became a headache where I looked at what we were doing and I felt like, Three quarters of the workout was about strengthening their technique in the Olympic lifts um, because I really wanted them to get good at it. And when they got good at it, it was really more about them fixing their technique or getting comfortable in those positions than it was about them becoming more explosive on the field. 
regardless, I love that type of training. I saw value in it. Um, the landmine became, for me, first a way for us to train at those speeds, uh, like a landmine with a band on it. I felt like that's a way for us to train explosively um, and just not have as many technical checkpoints, not mm -hmm. as many technique drills. So I had been using the landmine in lieu of Olympic weightlifting for my athlete. Then I was exposed to David. Uh, he showed me some different positions that you could get in with the bar. And um, it turned into, okay, wow, this is real simple. I can do a rotational clean. I can do a rotational jerk. I can do a rotational snatch. I can load them. We can go heavy with them. Uh, we just recently had the landmine games, which was the first ever weightlifting competition with the landmine clean and jerk and snatch. And so it was something that I could scratch that itch of setting a PR and knowing that I was becoming more explosive. But also, it's a rotational pattern, full range rotation through my trunk. My shoulders are rotating. They're also side bending. I am, in essence, coiling my core from one side to the other. Um, and, and the combination of those two became, number one, addicting. And number two, uh, really effective and efficient for my athletes because I found a couple of quick shortcuts in terms of landmarks on the body with our elbow and hip um, that allow me to teach this stuff really quickly. And uh, really just had my athletes. Now we're doing cleans, jerks, mm. snatches, and I feel like we're getting a lot more out of them. And I also feel like we're doing them on the balls of our feet, driving yeah. forward through the landmine the whole time. And through these rotational patterns that I feel like uh, we're missing out on on the majority of our strength training, not to say that that's bad, that, that uh, you know bilateral strength training is bad, but this is something new. This is something, a, a different pattern. Uh, with the similar rhythm of, of Olympic weightlifting. Yeah, you mentioned with the landmine work, the landmine cleans and things, uh, with being on the balls of the feet. And that was something that Adarian had mentioned on a podcast we did on Olympic lifting. And it's just so interesting. You you get in, you throw the Olympic lift topic out on Twitter or whatever, and you just get you know all sorts of people on different sides of the argument. And I think one of the things that I do look at that I do think is important is if an athlete does the Olympic lifts and they have, you know, quote unquote, perfect technique, but that they hit the second pole and their heel is still down, they're still heel heavy on the second pole. I don't think there's quite as much like elastic transfer out of that versus someone who, you know, and, and versus a landmine, you're, you're, it's so much easier to get that um, than especially with the something like the second pole. And so I just think that I kind of wonder to myself, I like to think about long-term progressions too, in the sense of what if it's not an argument? What if you just started with more stuff like landmine cleans or sit, it's a lower bar to jump over. It's more athletic Then maybe in high school or later, you know, it, it, I wonder if it would just catch easier, you know, like, and I was going to ask you that as well is thoughts on using that as a gateway into some more traditional or linear lifts and, and how that breaks down for you. Yeah. So, and this, I, again, I work with kids, uh, youth kids in the mornings, um, very young athletes. Always think about long-term stuff, try not to overexpose them to stuff. Mm -hmm. And we've done a little bit of traditional Olympic stuff in lieu of the landmine, very rarely. But the rhythm of the lift, um, the postural, you know, the importance of your, importance of your posture. Uh, when we do our clean, we shoot one elbow forward and rotate. Mm -hmm. um, the, the carryover into now we're shooting both elbows forward. Um, it's actually amazing how quickly they pick yeah. it up, much faster than before when i would just try to start with the traditional lift so i i do you know and, and i'm biased with, with this stuff obviously but 
um, the, there is a lot of overlap. The, the, the rhythm of the clean, the snatch, the jerk, they're the same as we're looking for with the Olympic lifts. They're just more rotational. Um, and we do keep that forward and 10. It's an advantage when you lift with landmine explosively to, to push forward, uh, into landmine. It's going to help you with your balance, but it's also allows us to sort of train through constant, uh, shin angle, uh, aggressive shin and spine angles, which, which, um, it's really just, I, I, I think it's automatically more elastic. Our heels never touch the ground when we do the way my left. Um, but also, I, I think there's just more carryover, which is hard to put it, you know, it's hard to put a finger on. You do all these things with your training. What's carrying over? What's, you know, guiding the, what's giving you the best bang for your buck performance wise? Um, but we're always, you always got to try, you know, and I think that, that, I'm just much happier with this with these exercises than than I was with the traditional yeah. Olympic lifts. Yeah, in some ways too. One thing I was going to say with the traditional lifts with sport is you kind of have a certain amount of skill points in some way that you can spend. Like if you're going to do like gymnastics or wrestling, or you're just learning sports skills, you're expanding your movement library and movement literacy, and then you got to spend a bunch of other skill points, so to speak, on learning all the nuances of the Olympic lifts. Maybe that's, you know, like if you're a basketball player or a wrestler, do you really need to learn the traditional Olympic lifts? I mean, they sure, you know, later on, maybe it'd be helpful. But at this, I think about like track on the other side, track, you have a lot of skill points to spend because you only have a few events, you know, and obviously you want to refine those events. But for a track's jump coach, it's certainly worth it to spend those skill points on the Olympic lifts and because it, it kind of goes with it, too. I just think it is different across sports. I think you see that, right? I mean, I think you see just just by necessity I mean, and that olympic weightlifting is used all the time in track and field you know because of that and that's not i don't know if coaches are are, are are rationalizing it that way but it's just sort of how it ends up working too um another thing i really like about the landmine it's something that's been cool to go back into a, a wrestling club because uh working with the the head coach of the club who's, who's buddy mine wrestling i was a great wrestler um taking him through some of the stuff and then watching him run his next practice and all the kids had done a landmine workshop, but he kept, you know, uh, referring to what we had done with the landmine. Yeah. Like, now look, you got to pinch that elbow down and you got to coil that way. And now he's saying, now he's saying coil all the time. And he's talking about these landmarks, which was a term that he hadn't used. Um, and so I think if, if, if we are going to spend those skill points, it, you know, mm -hmm. as a coach who's not their sport coach, yeah, it does feel really, uh, satisfying when just at yeah. least a couple of those skill points overlap with what they're working on uh you know in their sport um aggressively switching from one side short to the other pinning your elbow down uh, maintaining a forward angle so you don't get pushed around uh those are things that that uh in my mind right those are those are uh position skills that they're also going to be important in their sport practice and that just makes me feel like hey maybe i am helping uh as a strength coach when when there's a little more overlap and that's something that you know, like with the fighters and that's where this landmine new stuff is really taken off because they they feel like everything that i'm telling them to do their striking coach is also telling them to do even if it's a little bit differently it feels the same the positions are the same and now they feel like after doing that set of jerks with the landmine, they feel like they can yeah. throw a harder punch. So 
Um, yeah, I, that, that's another thing that, and that's always, cause I'm big on exercise selection. I think it really matters. It's one of the few things that we can like control as a strength yeah. coach is what exercises are we doing? So I've always been looking for the best ones. And, you know, and this is just sort of for this box, for the explosive strength box, that's, this is to me, the Holy grail is this landmine stuff. Yeah. Um, that's what I was going to ask you. Cause I think naturally people will see a new, um, you know, and, and again, everything, I think there's been iterations of a lot of things over time, but something that's rel- you know, a new way of doing things or a new theme coming up and they'll say, well, where's the transfer points? Like, what does this transfer to, you know? And it, like you said, like the, if athletes, I think there's different ways to assess transfer. There's, you know, data points, Hey, your, your swing velocity or your acceleration time or your force velocity profile, whatever. And there's also, well, the athlete just saying, Hey, yeah, wow. I feel like I'm punching so much harder. You know, and I don't think that's invalid. Like that's a Mark McLaughlin was just talking about how important it is to get athlete feedback and, you know, and what are they, what are they feeling from the movement? And I think that could change a little bit as athletes get older and more mature moving into college or pro, and there's more opportunity for tech and data to give you feedback. But I was going to ask you, yeah, just if you want to extrapolate a little bit on yeah, those those things that you feel it particularly transfers to, like what skills particularly are like, yes, this, if you were in this sports skill, you're doing this movement. Hey, this is something that's really going to be beneficial for you. Sure. So like in the base of it is that, uh, if we, if we just look at it in terms of, Hey, this is a strength training system that's, uh, based on the spinal engine theory, as opposed to the pedestrian theory, if we just looked at it like that, I would argue that this is superior to traditional Olympic weightlifting for sprinter because um, they're going to go through their full hip cycle. They're going to, uh, ro- you know, rotate through the trunk the same way that they will uh, when they sprint. Um, and then I, again, I'd say for jumpers, you could argue that it would be, you know, even possibly more beneficial because, you know, a, a longer stride is going to have a little more, more rotation through mm-hmm. the trunk. Um, the, again, the most obvious spots are the combat athletes, yeah. and those are the ones that I've gotten the most real feedback from um, because of the trunk motion, because of the rotation through the trunk, um, and because of their lack of uh, – uh, it's just sort of there's not good exercises to load mm-hmm. that that pattern. Um, it's something that they feel like they're lacking, uh, where they they might throw a med ball. 20 times against the wall and they might go through that pattern and feel like they're ready to throw snappy punches, but, um, they're not setting a personal record. They're not, um, loading to the point of maximal force output. Um, and the landmine is, is just a way for us to do that. Um, I, I, when you start getting into the coin of the course, by and stuff, and you start looking at all sports, I think you see examples of this in everything. Um, we talked about how grappling, it's really, uh, exaggerated. And so it's, it's really clear to, to see and feel. Um, but, uh, I've been doing the certification classes for a few years now. And it's really fun for me is that if there's a tennis coach there, he'll come up to me and say, man, te- tennis players really need to be doing this. Yeah. And if there's a bowling coach there, he'll come up and say, man, my bowlers really need to be mm. doing this. Yeah. And so it's sort of like, what, what sport are you into? Um, most sports uh, could benefit from more rotational strength training, in my opinion. Um, and most sports could benefit from uh, more training through the balls of their feet. So this is a way to, to check a lot of boxes for a lot of different sports. 
but the short answer, the most obvious, I think, would be the combat guys, the striking guys. Um, and, and that's who I've been lucky to work with a lot. Um, so that's another part of it is that like a majority of the people that are really getting into this right now have been uh, combat coaches or, or sort of in that arena. If you're a coach looking for an awesome training portal to distribute and track workouts for athletes online or in person, then you can get a free 30-day trial of Team Builder software by heading to teambuilder.com and using the code JUSTFLY. See what Team Builder can do for you and sign up for that free trial today using the code JUSTFLY. Yeah, I, I could 100% see with the tennis. I Back when I was at Cal, I worked with the men's tennis team, and then the usually it was like a thing where the basketball strength coach did the uh, work for the women's tennis team. And historically, at least when I got there, the women's tennis team was doing, they were doing Olympic lifts and the men's, I didn't have the men's. And I, they, I had taken like, <laughs> the men's coach wanted me to take like a tennis certification or, and, and there was like Olympic lifting in it. And I don't know, it's just like, I don't, I think it did say you want to be careful of the risks for the tennis players. And there was just something in my head. I was like, I just don't think it's worth it with this group. And, but, you know, in hindsight, um, you know, and I, I left in 2020 before the landmine stuff, uh, before you had put out the landmine courses in hindsight, I would have totally done the landmine type work. And we did like the half kneeling presses and those things. I think that's what was more popular in the, the 20, the tens <laughs> is that the decade. Uh, but as I, as I see it for a group like, like tennis, yeah, that would be a phenomenal alternative to the Olympic lifts. If you talk about skill points to spend and, and the rotational piece. And yeah, so and it makes perfect there's sense. only so many patterns. I've done videos before where I, I do a wing of my clean with one hand and I throw a ball with the other hand at the same time or swing yeah. a racket. Mm -hmm. And it's really just the nature of the trunk work, right? I mean, it's just yeah. patterning. It's, um, I think it's a little bit better. Um, but it, but it's also it gives you a chance to train explosively because, um, it's as a strength coach, if you're not doing the Olympic lifts or if you're not doing and and you see. It's just like this weird, you feel like you should be, or at least that was me. It was yeah. like when I got away from the Olympic list, if I saw another strength coach that was using them well, um, it was always like, ah, I feel like I want my guys to, to be snapping like that in the weight yeah. room. You know what I mean? I don't have a great um, alternative. And that's that's also what, what this can be is just a more accessible alternative. It's it's easier on your wrists too yeah. to, to catch the bar with your, when you, you know, when you can, give and do the opposite on the other side yeah. so i always find it funny too I love it. It, with uh a lot of times like if sport coaches were in the weight room i would see uh, like if they're you know you're you're doing the olympic lifts with the athletes a lot of times the sport coaches will want to be like they want to feel like they can say something so they'd be like oh keep your elbows up you know i'm like i didn't ask you to say this but it's just funny because it's like well with a landmine you probably don't ever have to worry about telling someone to you know, do that type of thing because there's not that that natural limitation and honestly i found some athletes who are super compressed i'm like i don't care what i say to you. you're probably never going to get your elbows up the way it looks oh, yeah, you know so it can be it's such a headache yeah yeah i and I, that's how i felt in college i didn't i didn't do olympic lifts growing up and when i got to college it was like we're, we're maxing our cleans out and this is going to be what we use to measure your explosive strength and i'm over here doing something crazy <laughs> yeah. and over in the corner is doing a totally different exercise because his high school coach had him do cleans and i'm just like man we're not even doing the same uh -huh. exercise like this is crazy this is what we're going to measure we're going to max this out so the one thing with the landmine is kind of built on all right uh you can with, with this workshop one hour workshop where you teach this to a, a room full of kids 
and they're all going to pretty much look the same yeah. because we all have full, you know, you can rotate your shoulders so far. Um, you can maintain your balance with so much of a forward angle. And we can find this sort of landmark with the elbow and the hip. And that's one thing that um, has been just a cheat code shortcut for us is just using that landmark concept to get everyone to into a position real quick. You know your elbow's got to be touching your hip right here. Um, and I haven't run into anyone who can't do it. You can yeah. modify it really easily too, which is great. You can modify it without like their wrist hurting or, yeah. you know, so, yeah. Yeah, one of the things. It just makes sense to me. Yeah, I've been thinking about this more and more, and especially since my podcast with Aaron Cantor uh, that was out a few months ago and, and spending time, uh, uh, he's uh, one of the Evolve Move Play coaches with uh, Rafe Kelly. And so one thing Aaron had mentioned was like just a low bar of entry, because I think that's just the thing is it's so easy in this day and age to be very complex. And but what's motivating and, and an athlete who and I think athletes are different. Like I was an athlete who actually I taught myself the Olympic lifts as a sophomore in high school, and I actually learned them pretty well. And I found doing cleans from the floor was came naturally to me. And I could go out the next day and like jump off one leg and dunk better. I was like, oh, I feel great. But for every one of me, and, and I'm not saying there's a lot of things I wasn't good at too. <laughs> but for like every kid like me who could figure that out, there you probably got three or four that it feels a little awkward at first. Maybe they're not feeling the second pull. The catch is weird. And that transition time is not really delivering anything to them athletically. They don't, they're not feeling like they get it. And there's something that's so important to that that instant or relatively instant feeling of somewhat mastery, you know, and then you can level up after that. And that's where I, that's where I have in my head. I'm like, how cool would it be to start with the landmine stuff? And if you did want to get to Olympic lifts later, it would be a pretty natural or more of a natural transition, you know, where you're still, there's never that point where you're like, okay, coach says I should do this. Coach says these are explosive. You know what I'm saying? Um, it just seems like a real natural transition point. No, I agree. I think that's, and you said there's, for every one of you, there's three or four that would have a hard time. I would argue it's more like 13 or 14. <laughs> so that, that's been my experience. But, um, yeah, I think uh, one of the cool things to see with the landmine is, is we go through the initial teaching phase. And it's, you know, you get to celebrate because the kids learn, you know, a new movement. And they feel like they've got something new. Um, and, and I do think that's, it's just, it just takes longer to, to to get there with the Olympic lifts. Yeah. So, and yeah, it's, it's been really cool for me to see, you know, we can really load to the point that I want to really quickly. Yeah. And comfortably. You mentioned um, like, like kind of the rib cage, like the rotation over the foot. Cause that's one thing I see in the, in the landmine, like Olympic movements. I, I, I don't know if that's a, if that's a good way to term them. Just the landmine clean and snatch is like there's the the foot and the, the rib cage rotates over it which is there's a lot more of that bandwidth in like sprint acceleration and like you mentioned the shin angles are sim more similar to like an acceleration type angle so i i mean to me it makes sense especially with running and acceleration and even change of direction like throwing that in there that that could be um more beneficial for a lot of kids than the olympic lifts at least initially in that respect as well i think so for sure i also think there's some really great limiting factors with the landmine stuff um that make it really appealing for youth athletes i think it, you know it's great for all athletes i'd love to see it you know find its way into the college weight rooms but the, the there are a couple of really nice things about using it with younger athletes a the bar is fat at the end so uh, your grip becomes a limiting factor which really um it just prevents kids from overloading it mm. uh but but you can still load it right to yeah. the point of 
them not being able to do it, but most of the time it's just because they can't hold on to the bar. I like that. Yeah, interesting. Um, I also like the fact that I also like the fact that it's unilateral, uh, which you know you can get into the all that what Mike Boyle stuff about. Uh, I've always thought that was. I, I've always wanted to scratch my head at that a little yeah. bit just because you're using your entire body for the lift, not just that leg. So like yeah. the positions you put your legs in, right? So, but at the same time, I do, I do like unilateral loading for my young athletes more because it, we don't have to put as much on their spine. And so I like that about the way mine lifts too, is you really do feel the load go from one glute to the other glute and you can mm. feel that. And, and yeah. that's something that, is really powerful um and also just safe because they they can't they're just limited in a way that i like especially for the wrestlers they they're grabbing wrists and they need uh uh that type of grip strength anyway i have some really small athletes we put a cap on the bar but you know yeah i just like those built-in sort of limiting factors for the for the young kids there's something that's that's really I, that's very awesome. I'm trying to figure out my words here because I, I I love um in, in some ways right like you'd almost think of it as a as a, an, an aberration or constraint because in the perfect weight room if landmines originally had been developed for the clean right someone would have been oh let's put a nice little normal handle on there <laughs> but yep. and I'm just writing an email and sending this out on economic constraints or Mark McLaughlin talked about this like that hockey player who didn't have like enough skates so he had to go around and like mitten mittens or something on his feet but that was really interesting yeah yeah, yeah but yeah. it like makes you play differently and it gives you something and so much uh, i think a lot of times we almost find things by accident that are because of these constraints and one thing you were mentioning when you were saying that is i was thinking about there's research and i, I now i gotta go back and find it if i'm gonna put it in the show notes but it was something as if you train with a fat grip you're actually your whole movement gets stronger because it's like the brain is forced to wire more neural juice through that limb to to solve the problem the problem is hey lift this and have a nasty grip so that's going to take a lot of we could call it electrical energy or whatever but there's something that's really powerful about that and like you said it does limit them from oh man i'm gonna put four plates on in my first time or whatever right? <laughs> just try to smash it like it's gonna it, it, it kind of solves it works itself out yeah i and that's you know and you could ask donnie thompson or any of the guys are into the fat grip stuff but like for me i remember with and even bench press, but deadlift particularly, when I did uh, work with a fat grip, like it sort of auto-corrected my form. You know, it, it's just like it was, became almost impossible to do it with bad form. Hmm. And and I don't know, what, I, I you can't put a finger on that. It's almost like uh, we were talking about our kids, like little toddler. I got a little toddler and he'll come and pick up a dumbbell. And if he doesn't do it perfectly, he's going to fall over because he falls over anyway all the time. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And so it's like you put these this, that extra limiting of, okay, this is big. This is a hard thing for my hand to hold on to. Your body sort of auto-organizes into a better lifting posture, I think. That's what I've seen. And and I, I, I uh, have gone away from designing a cap that I like because – I yeah. like the fat grade. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Even with um, with that, and this is something I had wanted to bring up, was like options uh, in the sense of what makes movement come to life and be really athletic. And I think there's a place for barbell work or even like a max isometric where there's no options. It's just go. But there's something about like the Marinovich training system, like like the little like balance plates and things. There's options. The body can pick or it's got to solve a little bit. 
and then can apply force. It's almost like there's problem solving stage and then there's a force application stage. And I think we've almost reduced. And I think you there's places where you could like if you're working in the NFL and you just want to be like really safe and you do like a hit type program. There's been a lot of successful strength coaches who do that because the athletes are they're already super athletic. They're being athletic on the field all over the place. But if we're talking developmental or honestly, even the off season or I mean, I, I like having options. I, I've, I've really been thinking about this concept of options as a part of the equation that's just as important as some of the other pieces, because otherwise it's just intensity. And at some point. You're, you can't push that bass drum necessarily any harder. It's just, well, kind of, it, it's the options that keep things moving and skillful and engaging uh, as you go. For sure. And I think, you know, and you talk about NFL, it's one of the reasons why I'm so obsessed with training youth athletes is that they're just so much more plastic. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're changing so much faster and they can change so much more. And like, that's where options are, are just king because you want to prolong that and you don't want to overexpose them to things. And you, you know, um, so yeah, it's, it's, uh, and that's a lot, that's a lot of what this was for me originally is just another option for explosive strength training. Cause I felt, felt like I didn't have enough options uh, yeah. in that sort of box. Yeah. I, I should say too, I, I, I contradict myself a little bit. I know everyone's seen like what Bobby Stroop's doing with Patrick Mahomes and all that, the athletic training there. So it's like, there's certainly that that is still important. But I do think if you're going to, um, if, if you could probably get away with more of a just a, hey, let's just hit the tissues, let's stimulate the tissues, make sure that you're not going to, you know, hopefully not going to get hurt, you know, and, and you be athletic in the game. Once an athlete's more established, I think there's, that could probably work a little bit better. But yeah, growing up, you know, teaching athletes movement options and, and all that doing yeah, and it's just more interesting as a coach yeah oh yeah you give me a nine-year-old and it's like well i don't know he could end up being an olympic champion or he could end up being a couch potato i don't know <laughs> but, but like with patrick mahomes you're looking for one little oh, thing yeah. and, if you can, and then you're you're a great coach because you know so this is easier working with young kids it's like i've always felt like as a strength coach you one of the things that we do all the time is take credit for just like natural development. Yeah. Like you'll work with a kid when he's going from age 19 to 20 and be like, look at this. And it's like, well, he <laughs> yeah. just turned 20. So, you know, but I love it. It's like, that's, that's the best. You get to see big results. So it's fun. Yeah. Yeah. Just watching my own children go through their, the stages of athletic development and all that. It's, it's just so much fun. You just look at just that mountain that, yeah, if you do get a athlete in college, there's a mountain that came before that and all these different stages. And even the difference between my own kids too, between my son and my daughter is so just their interests and their wirings, their, their wirings and, and, and everything like that. Like my son is, is five and my daughter's seven and my son already, I have a little grip meter that I used to test my nervous system. And sometimes I'll let the kids do it. My son's grip is already like way higher, like his neural juice or whatever. He's just got it. Whereas my daughter's a little bit less and she actually, and you could see it even in the movements. And it's like, there's just, there's also just something to the athlete as well that, that feeds into that. But, um, that is important to mention, but yeah, it's just been really cool to see that journey and even <laughs> i'm sitting here in my basement and like even when my kids come down when i'm lifting just to watch them mess around with stuff is just fun for i like i'll learn by like what do they go and choose to mess around with a lot of times it's like i got sent these like little um 
like these little elastic bands that are kind of like battle ropes. And I honestly don't really use them, but my kids love them. They love playing with them. Or they're like, my, my son will try to lift the kettlebells to see like, hey, dad, look at this. And I'm like, I didn't tell him to lift it. He just loves doing it. Whereas my daughter's kind of like, meh. <laughs> it's, it's just kind of, it's just fun to watch your kids like explore those situations and see what they like. I've got a one and a half year old and it's just like every broomstick turns into a limit like right away just, <laughs> you know it's just uh that's probably watching it all you know but, but it is fun to watch yeah i love it um well, yeah, speaking maybe the opposite of options is I know you do some isometric work with, oh, I just had one other thing to say. You mentioned the glute to glute aspect with the feeling. And we talked about movements, like like being in the gym, the rewarding piece being, hey, what movements come out of this that athletes feel in their sport? Because I do think across, you could say there's a spectrum of what coaches are looking for in their training session. But I think in the heart of all of us, we love movement and we love hearing that this movement an athlete felt that. In addition to the other, you could say more raw numbers or qualities or force qualities, but the glute to glute thing, that's something where uh, my uh, wife's parents just got a table tennis table in their basement. So I'll, I'll play every Sunday. And the, the nerdy part of me, I, I played growing up, and I just played for fun and made up games, but now I'll watch some videos on it. And one of the videos is like, it's called feel the ball. And it's just funny because this little teeny ball, like how are you supposed to feel it? But you need to feel the spin of your racket on there to be able to work with the ball versus just smacking it. And I, I sure. work with movement in the same way. Like I want people at some point, you should be able to feel your glutes and acceleration in the hill sprint. You should be able to feel the glutes powering you up the hill because if you are, chances are you're in a pretty good position. And so I, I just think about that as that, that could be something you could feel in a basic acceleration, a hill sprint, a sled sprint. Like it could, it could, um, show itself up there and more than probably an olympic you don't feel that an olympic lift <laughs> you know, maybe a little bit like you catch in a split and i think that's great you know and I, I like those movements but no it's yeah that glute to glute transfer thing is really um you know it's like not part of it that i was going for but it's something that's just like man this uh because yeah it's all over wrestling you take a penetration step we're constantly switching stances so. And yeah, that is, you know, as a coach, it's almost a better cue to just, if they're at that level, to mm-hmm. just feel that, right? Because like you said, you're in a good position if that's that's what's powering you, so. Today's podcast is sponsored by the Plyomat. The Plyomat is not only an incredible vertical jump and reactive strength index uh, testing device, but it also is an incredible training device. The plyomat not only allows single response jumps, but also the chaining of multiple mats together. So you can use it for bounding multiple series of hurdle hops. You can get not only height, but reactive strength for a multi-jump situation. It's an incredible, again, testing and training tool. And you can learn more at plyomat.net. Yeah, it, it almost would be better probably to have them feel it in an exercise in the gym in some ways versus you're just out, you know, doing a sprint practice. Hey, I want you to feel it in your, you know, like I, it's almost better like when you watch, start. Watch you, what those kids do. Yeah. Right. yeah you, like it's like in the gym, you just felt it. Hey, that thing you felt in the gym, you should feel that here on these first few steps. You know what I'm saying? Like there's something sure, about sure. that. The gym is a nice place to slow things down a little. It's still fast, but respectively slow it down and feel that. And then it's like, Oh, I felt that there. Maybe I can feel that when I'm moving. And you know, then you, then you know, you're on the right track. Um, but sure. with, with the options, the opposite of options, like being isometrics, I know you use isometrics in teaching. And I was just thinking like some of these kind of bent staggered positions isometrically, probably you get a heck of a glute load and calf too, I'm sure. 
Tell me a little bit about the isometric uh, uh, piece of your teaching process with the landline. Yeah, so in the whole system, there's principles that I wrote out sort of to just as a way that a measuring stick and make sure that these movements were as functional as possible. So it's forward intent, rotational intent, core-driven movement, and then progressive overload. And then the last principle is positions before transition. So I'm a huge proponent of isometric training and that's one place where the landmine for me uh just became so powerful because now with the landmine we can get into an isometric position where a we can apply as much forward pressure as possible so we're driving forward in this isometric um, and then we also can add the rotation of the bar so when we rotate the bar that shoulder goes down and back uh that front foot that hip was naturally going to be up and we're going to get into this coiled position where we're driving forward and then what we do um is we do with a partner we call it bar wrestling so we'll get into that staggered stance rotated position and then our partner will try to rotate the bar the other way so this purely rotational resistance and what it does to your lat and oblique is amazing i mean when you start to just play with this the lat the oblique the glute and then you, you establish that rotational intent. You learn how to power uh, your movements with that. You know, the whole concept of, of slings and, and uh, you know, those muscles being, you know, used in a, a primary sort of nature. To me, I hadn't found a way really isometrically to, to do that and to do it quickly. And so the landmine isos are so powerful because it, it – Allows you to feel the rotational resistance, purely rotational. I'm going to try to rotate the bar the other way, and you have to keep fighting that. It also allows us to drive forward. The other thing we'll do is try to pull the bar up. So now I have to keep pulling the bar down in that position as I drive forward. And that also lights up, lights up your lat, lights up your oblique. Um, I'm big on giving proximal cues and sort of letting the distal stuff take care of itself. We. Mm-hmm. People do come back really sore in the lower leg, uh, but instead of like cueing a calf raise, I'm just constantly cueing hiking of the hip. So when we hike that hip, that heel naturally lifts, and that's sort of what we look for with with our athletes. So I don't tell them, hey, stay on your toes, stay on the balls of your feet. I just tell them to focus on hiking that hip and driving forward, and then they're automatically on the balls of their feet. Um, And that was another thing that I felt like with all the coin and core stuff, um, what I felt the most was that it was helping me hike my hip, which is such a big part of so many movements in wrestling. Um, but then also a big part of, and you know, just locomotion in general or or movement and that, that ability to kind of hike that hip. And that's going to now initiate my entire hip cycle. That's why I'm on my toes. Right. And, and the isometrics I'm rambling now, but the ISOs are just so powerful because Um, They allow us to coach all these things, all these principles, and fix kids, but also um, also just get all the benefits of the isometric training. So it's something that we do every single day, Um, one ISO, either rubber band or on the landmine. And we always add rotation through the trunk. Yeah. What, um, so, well, one thing too, I was just thinking of is, is, um, movements that are almost greater than the sum of their parts in some ways. Like, and, and I think about all the things you're getting there, you're getting, like you said, the rotational intent, but also you're getting a, like a Chris Corfus and Keldeets have the spring ankle series, 
which is basically like that bent knee, like isometric calf raiser. So you're kind of getting that in with all the other stuff as well, which is really cool. Like you're getting, and it's almost like you don't even have to necessarily single it out. I mean, you certainly could for extra work there, but it's just, to me, it's kind of cool that it's all, because you said people would be really sore in the lower leg. So lots of stuff going on there. Yeah. And again, your podcast, I think I try to remember the name of the guy. And way back in the day, I was getting really into the split squat ISOs. Um, I'm sort of pushing, pulling forward through it. Uh, and all my athletes were doing them. But, and then, you know, when I started trying it with the women, I just felt like it was better. Yeah. Uh, no, I, 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 I could see that. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. With the ISO lunge, like, yeah, like the classic, like Jay Schrader type format, you're, you are have the heel off the ground and i feel like the stimulus comes more if you do it for like three or four minutes <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which then yeah. everything gets tired your, your calf gets worked too but the, but like the max load on your calf is never going to be that high because you're just balanced you know your torso is perpendicular in the middle front leg back leg you know you have these perpendicular angles it's not till you kind of push forward in a late stance that you really start to crank onto that forefoot and soleus and stuff like that so it's like yeah you want to power that up and kind of take everything forward a little bit and you can wedge into the wall too, right? I mean, but uh, yeah, landmine was just, it just was perfect for me to, to check that box and also teach the landmine positions. Cause then now, okay, we held that ISO. You guys are ready for your cleans. Like, that's exactly how I want it to feel. I want you to rotate into the catch, want you to hike that hip, and you better be driving forward the whole time. So um, that just made the whole workout more efficient too, just because. I could kind of pick a position um, that we were going to hit, and that's what we'd use for the ISO um, and not waste too much time. Yeah, so you were – yeah, yeah, for sure. It it just seems like something that has a, a lot of efficiency, especially starting with the ISO. There's so many good things happening. Um, one thing, and I wanted to start getting into this more for the back end of the show, just because with wrestling, we talked about – like you know, coming from Iowa sports, crazy state, like all these movement patterns and things is working with wrestlers. I, I've had Ethan Reeve on the podcast and, and that physical literacy that came out. Of, he was a wrestling coach and then strength and conditioning. And I know that the, or tell me a little bit more about the work that you're doing with uh, the wrestlers from like a physical literacy perspective. And what things do they do that you think all athletes could benefit from? Uh, tell me a little bit about like the gymnastics and I've seen physio ball stuff. Tell me a little bit, bit about some of that and how that can translate into general athleticism. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's, uh, we were talking before the show, it's it's interesting because I've always thought it was a great question. Like, did, do wrestlers need a strength coach or do gymnasts mm -hmm. need a strength coach? Uh, wrestlers and gymnasts are extremely strong, regardless of their weightlifting background. And they look it too, right? Um, and you know, I don't think I don't even know if there are gymnastic strength coaches, but um when you're given the task of now you're gonna run the strength program for these wrestlers, it could be daunting, especially you go and watch well, go watch a wrestling practice and their warm-up is like all this tumbling and handstand walks, and you know, they're doing things that um that build strength and movement and they they uh are already super robust in terms of their athletic ability um i'm right now working with youth wrestlers and and uh i think that um the tumbling stuff the gymnastics stuff just being comfortable uh falling and on the floor 
I think all athletes could benefit from that. Um, the roughhousing stuff, I think all athletes could benefit from that as well. It's something that some people get away from as they get a little bit older. And I think uh, there's a lot just physical awareness-wise that, that you could get out of that. Um, you know, and then I, I, what I'm doing with them right now is what I would do with any youth athlete. Um, and I think, uh, some, some things I think, uh, like other videos that I'll post on Instagram of my kids, I think they, you also have to keep in mind that these are wrestling kids. These kids, um, had some of these skills before coming to me. So it's about how do you design a good progression regression? And for me with the kids, it's all about competition. I try to, we try to make everything as competitive as possible. Um, fun. We try to play a game every single day. Um, and then, uh, just the challenge. So they really enjoy, um, skill acquisition stuff. And so that, that's where like the stability ball stuff comes in. Um, but in essence, it's about not overexposing them to, to too much. Also allowing them to feel like they got a good workout in. You know, we, we spend probably the last 15 minutes of every session with super traditional looking bodybuilding stuff. Uh, just because the kids love it. Um, but in terms of actually training wrestlers and what other athletes could, could take from them, I think one of the biggest things is like, especially for strength coaches is like, you, you need to get a mat. You need to find a, a, a space where you're comfortable getting your kids on the floor. Um, and not just doing crunches or planks, but like getting on and off the floor or moving around on the floor. Um, th those are things that my kids are really good at. And for that reason, I think they're also really good at other sports too. These kids are great. Mm -hmm. I mean, my kids play all kinds of sports. And at least for me growing up around here, the kids that were wrestling all the time were usually the best athletes, regardless of what we were doing. Except for maybe, you know, you got basketball kids too, which I think is another awesome sport for just athletic development. Um, yeah, I, and now I can't even remember the question. No, but, no that's okay. Yeah, it's, uh, and getting into diving into some of that stuff probably, you know, makes, uh, takes your memory trail of what you're working on in that way. Because it is so immersive as... Uh, and, and I love what you said, basketball and wrestling. Uh, Tony Villani, talking about agility and and uh, game speed and movement in the NFL, he talked about the importance of like basically being able to play basketball at certain points in the defensive structure. That intuitive like ability you gain by playing basketball. And I'm sure wrestling, same thing, a lot of intuitive body control. And it's like, it's almost like basketball is on your feet, spatial agility, and then wrestling is almost in your body, spatial. Like, and if you could put the like hey we want to be good at these two things i mean that's that's a i think that's an amazing combination like yeah what if there's a gym where it's like hey here's a mat on one side and here's a couple like low rim hoops on the other and play all sorts of basketball maybe tackle basketball like jeremy frisch talked about <laughs> I, I think you would build super athletes i've always thought that that and it's something that uh you don't see a lot of overlap especially around here it's cultural too mm -hmm. uh the kids i work with are all really short for their age. Their dad wrestled and their kid is going to wrestle and the tall kids are going to play basketball. And, but, um, I also think that the aiming points are really so different. Um, my kids are always shooting down at people's legs and trying to get people down on the mat. 
And basketball players are always looking yeah. up and trying to get yeah. up to block a shot or touch the rim. And I've always wondered, too, if that's, I know most of it's genetic, but, like, it seems like these basketball kids just keep growing taller. Yeah. These wrestlers just keep getting shorter. <laughs> it's just, yeah, yeah. divergent yeah, point. It's like, are you looking up all the time or are you, like, hunched over looking down all the time? I don't know. Does it change the way you grow? I have no idea. But, uh, yeah, they're so opposite. And also, like some of what we talked about, they're also much uh, different in terms of like the requisite structure to get really good at them. When we look at international wrestling athletes, they've been specializing in wrestling oftentimes for like 20 years, and there's been a lot of structured practice. And you see the same thing in gymnastics, where you don't you don't become a world-class gymnast on the street and like <laughs> yeah. jump onto the scene, right? It's super structured and it's super specialized. Then you look at basketball players and the best athletes in the world developed on the street yeah. in basketball mm-hmm. just for fun. And, you know, the, the, it's, that's really interesting. That to me is just oh, yeah. like basketball must just be the most fun yeah. because it, you know what I mean? It's just, Wrestling practice is just not fun. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, it is. It, that's such an. I don't think that is a discussion that's really talked about too often because I think it is fascinating, right? It's like free play. It's like free play versus structure. Well, maybe there's there's a time for more of both. And you know, I was just thinking with gymnastics. Yeah, like you said, it it's not like hey, here's the rings in the street. It's like free play. I mean, there's those calisthenics. You know, people will do like the calisthenics and go out and teach each yeah. other and things like that. And you do get some decently high levels. Oh, man, you do the bar star guys. Oh, I'm yeah. not, it can happen anywhere. The guy, you know, street dance. And, and I think you could also argue the same thing with wrestling when you look at how many world champion identical twin wrestlers there have been. Mm, interesting. It is. It is. Obviously, they got good by free pl- f- play wrestling. Yeah, just with their brother. Something we try to include in pra- practice often is play wrestling, where the, the kids roll around and try things and don't really let each other take each other down, right? And just yeah, the play wrestling is something. And that's honestly, that's a part of our structured practices mm. that might benefit other athletes because there's we've taken the pressure of competition out. But we're wrestling, right? Play wrestle. That's all you're going to tell them to do. Let each other win once in a while. Try some different stuff. Um, but then you look at, you know, like the Brands Brothers or the Bannocks or all these guys, and these are Iowa wrestling guys, but these are uh, literally identical twins who reached elite world champion, Olympic champion levels. And, uh, you know, Dan Gable would tell a story about the first time he went over to recruit the Brands Brothers, and he walked in, and he says, never seen so many holes in the drywall in the house, you know, <laughs> in his life. There's just holes in the wall. And he said, I don't even need to talk to him. I want those kids on my team, you know. It was just like, but that, that, that unstructured play wrestling, I don't know. That's There's definitely something to that, too. So yeah, it's that- just the nature of the works. Yeah, new new recruiting tactic is whatever house you grew up in, I'm going to go take pictures of the walls. The more holes in the walls, right. regardless of sport, right. you know, you're roughhousing with your brothers or whatever, like, you know, good things. It's dangerous are, strategy. Yeah. Definitely happening. That's Look awesome. Good backfire. Good backfire. <laughs> well, good stuff. Uh, so, Alex, just in closing, I know a lot of people are familiar with your work, but if they want to learn more about Landmine University and what you're doing, uh, where do they go? Where do people find you? 
Sure, I'm always putting stuff out on Instagram just um, to sort of get people interested and show them what I'm doing. Uh, so check that out. And then I have virtual coaching certification, um, which is 100 lessons, totally on demand, um, that coaches can get into. And that's really just designed for coaches. Uh, once you get your certification, then you can um, run your own landmine university workshops too. So we made it real easy for you to kind of take that and add something to your business. Um, then uh, other programs on there, I got a beginner's guide to coiling, which is like a $30 class, just about some of the positions and, and different ways to move your body. And then um, I travel and do in-person classes as well. So I'll be teaching level one and level two um, in New York City in mid-March and then with Phil DeRue down in South Florida at the end of March. So if you want to come to one of those classes, um, always an awesome weekend. Yeah. Well, sounds good. Well, thank you so much, Alex. It was awesome having you on the show. I really appreciate it. Uh, thanks again. Like I said, big, big fan of the show. So this was, this was fun for me. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the show and I'll see you next week.